You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. You're listening to special programming brought to you by itswhereiam.com. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Good morning, Las Vegas. This is Dr. G on It's Where I Am. It's 91.5 KUNV. And I'm really excited today to bring this show to you. I have a special guest today that I've had the privilege of knowing for a long, long time. And I'm really excited to learn more and to catch up on um, what my guest has been doing professionally and how she's impacting the lives of others. Um, Today, we have special guest, Dr. Nicole Andrietta, who is a psychologist, a marriage and family therapist, an executive coach, And most importantly to me, I get to call her my dear friend. Without further ado, let's say good morning to Dr. Nicole Andrietta. Oh, David, thank you. Or Dr. G. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for that introduction. It's super exciting to be here. I appreciate it. So, Nicole, it's been really uh, fun, enjoyable, rewarding for me to see your work through different social media platforms and just to have that opportunity to remain in touch and to see um, how you're using your skill sets and your expertise and, and your kindness and how you're helping others um, really all over the world. So um, one of the fundamental observations that I made in regards to your clinical work is how you um, talk about uh, positive psychology. And, you know, I've really been uh, sitting and just kind of thinking about this idea of positive psychology. Um, And for our listeners, you know, I really just want to start off and kind of set the tone of this conversation um, by allowing you the opportunity to kind of define what is positive psychology and um, how are you using that to really shape, enhance and improve the lives of so many others? Oh, great. Okay. Well, I love to start out with a definition because a lot of times um, when people hear the term positive psychology, they're instantly put off because they seem, it seems like Pollyanna or like all rainbows and sunshine and a, and a, a denial um, of people's pain or reality or the things that, you know, people are struggling with. And it, and it is not that by any measure. So what it is, um, positive psychology was um, born around 30 years ago when Martin Seligman, who was the newly appointed um, uh, president of the American Psychological Association, and he um, he had actually um, gained, gained a lot of notoriety in the field for his research in learned helplessness, which as a clinician, people are pretty familiar with, you know, that was a, um, something that really, um, 
benefited um, the field in that it showed um, how people over time could lose hope when they didn't see that there was a way out, that they had learned that there wasn't a solution when there, in fact, may be, um, but they were blind to it because of past trauma or um, their their history. Um, so he was really embedded in, in um, traditional psychological research. Um, but when he was elected to this into this position, um, he brought to the field that the entire body of research, psychological research, had been rooted in studying what is wrong with people, like considering pathology, characterizing pathology, finding ways to treat mental illness and talk about mental illness. But we had never put the same scientific rigor into studying what is right with people. And why is there some people who flourish and thrive like despite life challenges or in the midst of life challenges? And what can we learn from them? What can we glean from them to share with the majority of us who are just trying to move, you know, north of neutral? Um, and the key was that they wanted that to be, again, studied with the same scientific rigor that we had pathology to really understand what contributes to true um, life satisfaction, human flourishing, thriving, um, and to be able to share that information again with all of us. Um, and so in order to do that, there was no there was no framework in order to do that research. And so what they did initially was um, they got a tremendous grant and they partnered with 55 like well-known thought leaders across the world, which is really important, um, you know, across religions, cultures, nations, belief systems. And they, they combed through like 2,500 years worth of text to study what has been written about what makes life worth living. And they came up with these six overarching virtues um, wisdom, courage, humanity, justice, temperance, and transcendence, which are these things, again, that have universally been decided on our good. So anywhere you go in the world, they're like, yeah, that's a good thing. That's something aspirational. And then they also um, found 24 different character strengths that kind of fall underneath those larger categories that are each of our individual ways of showing up and demonstrating um our value for so like if if the wisdom is um the overarching value and i have a love of learning every day in my life like when i learn something i'm like staying true to that value like of wisdom like so that's really um gives me a lot of meaning and purpose for example love of learning actually isn't one of mine but, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, I do learn nonetheless um so so I'm almost done. I know this was a long thing, but ultimately, you know, what they found is by identifying these character strengths and these values and then doing some research, like, well, now there's been millions of um, people have taken the survey and many research on the impact of these different character strengths on longevity and life satisfaction and stress reduction and, you know, mood, all the things that that essentially your top five character strengths on this survey, this assessment they came up with, um, are the things that are most essential to you, effortless, like your unique gift um, that you come into this world with, and when you have an opportunity to use them, um, like at the end of the day, when you put your head down on the pillow, if you've used, for example, four out of five of these strengths, 
you're more likely to report a higher level of life satisfaction. Like that, that we need opportunities to use our gifts and our strengths and, and new and novel ways and um, in our daily lives so that we can experience this level of life satisfaction that is aspirational. I love it. I love it. And you know, Nicole, you and I have worked in the field for a, a good amount of years now. And um, mm-hmm. we both have had really the privilege of journeying alongside individuals and families and helping them uh, make sense out of whatever it is that kind of triggered or motivated them to initiate the therapeutic process. And, um, you know, as I reflect on my own experience working as a provider in the field, you know, 24 years is a long time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been able to um, step into, you know, a clinical director role over every level of care within the field of mental health. Um, you know, mm-hmm. 24 years is, is, is a huge investment. And what I've come to, you know, at this point in, in my practice as a provider is that as a human being, I really believe all of us commonly are on a similar journey where at the end of the day, we're really hoping to feel some level of fulfillment, some level of joy, and ultimately to be happy. And, and so I really, um, you know, when, when I watch some of your videos uh, talking about positive psychology, uh, you know, it, it, it moves and triggers some thinking in, in my brain in that I feel like this is very much um, something that we're, we're all working towards and in, in experiencing. And um, I appreciate the fact that, you know, at, at the beginning of you uh, explaining to our listeners, you know, really what the definition is of positive psychology, you said, you know, sometimes there's this misconstrued perception that it's Pollyanna. Um, and it's mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. just really, you know, smelling the roses and being outside in the sun and, uh, you know, just just mm-hmm. kind of not um, acknowledging or um, being uh, within or feeling sometimes the heaviness, I think, that we all endure um, by navigating this thing that we call life. <laughs> And mm-hmm. and so you know what I'm what I'm hearing is is that you're helping um, individuals, families, teams to identify within themselves uh, personal strengths or positive character attributes that then contributes them moving forward in a positive way. Am I kind of understanding? Yeah, I mean, yes. In in that, so. Let's talk about like, let me give this an example. Like when we think about, um, I was, I was speaking to a lot of clients about new year's resolutions because historically, you know, people's new year's resolutions are based on that, on something that they, that they feel that they're not good at. They're not, they're, they're not meeting a certain expectation or sometimes even things that they admire in someone else or wish they were more of, um, and, or they, they set goals around what perceived weaknesses. And those kinds of goals usually are the ones, I, I mean, I've heard a statistic as high as 90% that don't don't work out. Like those resolutions don't um, usually make it past February, right? 
But under positive psychology, you would sit and reflect on the things that went right in the year or like the progress um, um, you made or the relationships that brought meaning and purpose or, um, or comfort or um, the work, uh, um, the work assignments that brought you the most satisfaction. And you would consider how you could build on what has already worked. Okay. And, or, I mean, maybe that's worked on the past and then, your greatest opportunities are in your strengths and what is already working to figure out a way forward. So, so Nicole, strength based. Uh, okay, strength based. So I want to. Uh, so I know um, that you and I both were trained in the medical model, and mm-hmm. the medical model uh, historically is providers assessing symptoms and pathology mm-hmm. and and labeling mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. we did not focus so much on identifying strengths or what has worked in the past because that's not really how we were trained some many years ago mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. field we had this huge paradigm shift where um, we went from assessing pathology and labeling to assessing strengths and identifying what has worked in the past to really become more positive in even how we engage and provide clinical services to individuals and families. So um, I think human nature, though, is, is for us to lean in the direction of thinking about what's not going right or what's going wrong. And, and being negative in terms of maybe the narrative, the discourse that we hold in mind or even project into the world or say out loud um, versus us moving or going on to the other side, if you will, of the pendulum where we're identifying um, what went well and, and, and things that we might be grateful for and then capitalizing and building off of that. Can you kind of speak a little bit, um, Nicole, about how individuals may start the process to uh, maybe thinking more positively about their um, themselves and, and just where they're at yeah. in, their, in life? Yes. I, I have two thoughts. One um, is that I would love for anyone listening to go to the VIA um, virtues and actions. It's V-I-A um, dot com. And you'll see that there's a free survey to take and you can learn your character strengths. And that's a really interesting, fun way to start. So I definitely encourage you to do that. Um, in terms of like David, when you were just talking about, you know, the negativity bias, like we are hardwired. It's from an evolutionary standpoint to notice what has gone wrong and, and when we do that, like, you know, how, how often do we hear, oh, like that something triggered someone? And that, and that could literally mean, of course, a trauma response. But let's say it's not. It's just a way of communicating that something bothered you, right? And we story it and we'll, might, we might tell you about why, like you could easily say that it was connected to your fourth grade teacher or something your mom did or, you know, and we're, we, we, we story it, um, we spend time sharing um, these frustrations and our understanding of our triggers or are these um, things that um, disrupt us and, you know, our days or uh, our emotions. But um, we don't do the same things with what um, Deborah Dana um, coined as glimmers, which are the opposite of triggers, like moments of 
calm, safety, connection, um, where you just get that kind of wash of warmth or calm or, you know, like just like a, an elevated feeling. Um, they do pass by us, but because um, from an evolutionary standpoint, we didn't have to attend to those things because they didn't mean that we weren't safe, right? Like the whole point of triggers is like they, they were, they've been um, hardwired in us for our safety, um, but our brains aren't um, skilled enough to know when, when we aren't actually in danger, right? But going back to the glimmers, it's like, we don't story our glimmers. We don't go, Oh, I, that, that person's smile just warmed my heart. I think it's because her smile was like my fourth grade teacher, or that looks like my mom, or she just, you know, she reminds me of X or I just needed that smile today. Like we don't story our glimmers. We don't pay attention to why. And we certainly don't share them with them. Like we don't, at the coffee, you know, like uh, around the coffee um, machine say, oh, I just had a glimmer. Like I just had this warm moment, like this moment of connection. Like we, we're just so much more apt to talk about um, things that go wrong. And what I, I would just encourage listeners is to consider um, talking with their friends and their families, um, partners, um, colleagues about things that go right. And, and, and be curious about why they went right and story those things um, to help combat and, and provide balance to this negative bias that we all have that is um, so ingrained in us all. Um, yeah, this is yeah, so this is really powerful stuff, Nicole. Um, you know, this this idea, this concept of glimmers and how glimmers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, can counter, act, if you will, triggers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I feel, you know, um, triggers are how we think about this concept is sometimes, you know, it's it, they a trigger, a trauma can become part of our DNA. And, mm-hmm. and then we mm-hmm. need to, for those of us that choose to do the work to deal with the trauma uh, so that we don't get stuck in life. And we can move forward in having healthy relationships and living life and being happy. Um, you know, that for many people can be fearful because of the process that that one engages in to kind of make sense of one's trauma and 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 learning how to manage triggers and, and how to not be so powerless to history and and how that can have mm-hmm. so much hold. Um, and, and sometimes I think chains, chain individuals to um, being stuck and not really having um, the capacity or, or the, the strength or the courage really to, or, or the know-how to how to kind of start um, being unleashed from those chains that hold us down so strongly. And I think it takes a lot of uh, sometimes motivation and, and courage to be able to engage in this process. And so I really love this idea, though, of glimmers um, and really um, ho- holding in mind, though, and being mindful of it to um, kind of push individuals to thinking more positively um, just about their existence. Well, and what's interesting, what's interesting is some of this, though, like with glimmers um, and triggers is triggers um are often associated with um like precognitive like meaning so our our nervous systems are hardwired our 
parasympathetic nervous system to pick up on cues precognitively, right? Like when we get the hairs up, up the back of our neck or like um, a smell, um, like we have a reaction physiologically before cognitively we become aware, you know? And because we have our spidey senses all the time to keep us safe, but the same side of the coin, like literally, you know, in the, with the vagus nerve is the, is the part of our nervous system that's looking for calm, comfort, and safety. And our brains are really good at it. Like we are always um, evaluating our, our environments, you know, for our safety. And oftentimes we are feeling safe, but we totally disregard that, right? Like we don't say, like, be, be, because again, we see this as not important data unless, unless we're, we are, we're, um, in, in danger, right? So like we've been trained to be like, we just have to be on high alert, but all of these moments of safety um, that are constantly happening as you come and go in, into um, different buildings or into the office or when you go into a restaurant, like where you're greeted with comfort, you know, yes, um, you don't attend to it. Be, and, and so it's starting to notice like, oh my gosh, my body is always protecting me in this way and showing me all the times I'm safe. Um, but I only give my attention to the times when it tells me that I'm not. So what would, what would you recommend, um, Dr. Andrea, if, um, so, so this concept or, or this, this term comes to mind, fight or flight. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, that, that, like you said, is, is evolutionary. I mean, it's in our DNA. It's just how we're constructed as human beings. And as we experience uh, life events and interactions, um, you know, we code in our DNA uh, how to respond to certain things. And, and so if an individual is presenting hypervigilant, Frequently, frequently enough, where it's becoming an issue in terms of their daily level of functioning. What would you recommend in an individual doing to kind of uh, start the process and and not uh, feeling so on the edge all the time? So, I mean, I mean, as you know, I mean, with all your clinical expertise, David, like um, there, there is. Um, depending on where someone is, like there are some more immediate things that we have to do to, to help um, decrease symptoms um, that are more acute that, you know, maybe that, that this work that I'm talking about might come after, you know, like for example, someone's dealing with, you know, um, PTSD and such, but, but for, for those of us that are trying to move north of neutral, I would, I would recommend that when you have, if you're able to identify the things that don't feel safe to you, that's good. You can come up with a system or ways to address those things. But you should be equally aware of the things that work for you. You should know where your safe places is, safe places are and why. Um, and pay attention when something, you know, if you have... Um, a positive, um, relate, you know, coworker or a, a boss or a friend, or um, I mean, uh, you know, a place that you go, you know, a park, anything. It's like you're it, when you're when you have that positive experience and you do feel safe or nurtured by something, 
be curious why. Take into all the elements. What it story that too. Don't only story and know why something doesn't work for you and what causes, you know, produces anxiety or discomfort. Be just as curious about when something goes well and, and story it and know why. Because you want to revisit those places in different ways, quite literally or figuratively, you know, like I always feel more calm and settled after I leave yoga. Um, you know, what all contributed to that? Like, I love the, the heated more. It seems like the warmth seems to even add to that. I like that particular teacher. Why? She has a soft tone. She like, I like her philosophy. What do I like about her philosophy? It is, how did that inspire me? And like, so I might go read, you know, the, from the philosopher that the yoga teacher spoke to, or I might do more things in warm environments, like go to a sauna because I know that I like the heated yoga. It's like, like you can expand on the things that worked when you get really curious about why you had more moments of calm and comfort or like elevated mood. This is such a high level. Absolutely. So, Nicole, this is such a high level conversation that I don't believe happens at our dinner table. And and one of the uh, joys for me to guest host on behalf of Zandra Pollard on It's Where I Am is because I get to bring forth to the community and listeners of KUNV 91.5 FM uh, different things. theoretical therapy models and interventions and I get to advocate for mental health and help reduce the stigma of accessing care and asking for help when you're feeling vulnerable. And and this conversation that you and I are engaging in this morning um, is, is really powerful because I think it's really exposing this idea of focusing on what's working well and focusing on uh, positivity um, and trying to live in a different way that I believe so many of us don't live in in such a conscious um, manner in which we're focusing on um, deconstructing and taking away stress in our daily life and learning maybe how to um, hold uh, interactions and um, mm-hmm. conversations mm-hmm. that typically might bring some heaviness or stress or negativity into a life, but um, learning how to how to view it from a lens where it's not having that same negative impact, maybe. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's it's like if anything, it's just a really um, interesting lens. To, to put on and, and, and just take a moment, you know, look through the strength-based lens, take time to understand, you know, your gifts, your strengths, the things that bring you the most purpose and joy, these things that come effortless to you, you know, like your kindness, your gratitude, your perseverance, um, you know, your, um, your love of learning, your curiosity, like these things that, that a lot of times you people don't even recognize them recognize them as the strengths they are because they just come so naturally. Yes. Um, like like and and so they admire other people's strengths um, because they are more difficult. But but you know for them like for me for example 
um, one a self-regulation is one is a goal. Like, and those people could follow an exercise program to a T and a diet and like are just very good at um, maintaining, you know, a schedule. And that's really difficult for me, So you know, but you know, um, you know, but I have other gifts is my kind of my point. And it's like, um, in this, in this model, you know what you, yours are and you really own them. And then you get really good at also recognizing other people's strengths and just admiring them, but not wanting them as your own. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So, um, Dr. Nicole Andretta, if, um, individuals wanted to reach out to you, what is a way that they can reach out, uh, services with you? Great. Yes. Um, so my website is Dr. Dr. Nicole, and I see O-L-E-A-N-D-R-E-A-T-T-A.com. This work is really relevant um, to teams, like leaders, being a strength-based leader, um, doing workshops with um, colleagues to learn about their strengths and what, you know, where they're getting their meaning and purpose and helping you know, understand what's driving them can be really powerful way to bond with teams and to build um, productivity and and connectivity and all the things. So absolutely, it sounds um, uh, amazing work that you are doing, Nicole. It's it's fascinating to me, and I can really see the benefit that it's having um, in in individuals' lives. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on. It's where I am on ninety one point five FM KUNMV. I'm Dr. G, and until next time, see you then. <laughs>